from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. I hope you had a restful weekend. Well, coming up on this President's Day, President Biden made a surprise trip to Ukraine where he met with Ukrainian President Zelensky. You and all Ukrainians, Mr. President, remind the world every single day what the meaning of the word courage is. Remind us that freedom is priceless. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. And that's how long we're going to be with you, Mr. President, for as long as it takes. President Biden said the U.S. will be with Ukraine for as long as it takes. So what does that look like? We'll talk with Texas Congressman Pat Fallon. A member of the House Armed Services Committee will also get an update on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee's request on Friday of the Biden administration for various documents regarding their botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. The committee getting ready for hearings. And it's back. Remember last year we were discussing the Biden administration working with the World Health Organization, WHO, to advance a global treaty that would bind member nations, including the U.S., to the WHO's pandemic response. Now, the global body meets next week seeking to ratify this pandemic treaty. We'll discuss the latest development with former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, now dean at the Regent School of Business. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken stopped in Turkey yesterday to observe the humanitarian effort that is underway, and he had this to say. The most important thing right now is to get assistance to people who need it, to get them through the winter, and to get them back on their feet. Uh, but simply put, the United States is here. We stand stronger with the people of Turkey and the people of Syria through our NGO implementing partners, uh, and we'll stick with it until uh, we all get the job done. We'll talk with one of the NGOs working to help the people of the region, doing so in Jesus' name. Edward Graham of Samaritan's Purse just returned from Turkey, and he's here with an update a little bit later on this edition of Washington Watch. The number of people traveling to Asbury University has overwhelmed the infrastructure of both the university and the town. And when folks have come to Wilmore and have asked me and have asked my friends what's happening, there's so much to say, and frankly, I don't know how to describe a lot of what is taking place, but I do say this, people are hungry. There is a deep hunger. That was the president of Asbury University, Dr. Kevin Brown. What are people hungry for? Is this something we could see in churches across the country? We're going to talk with Dr. Jay Johnston, a member of the FRC team. He was at Asbury last week, and he joins us here on Washington Watch. We'll also talk with FRC Action Vice President Brent Kylan, another member of the FRC team that traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky, to attend the chapel service this weekend. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you uh, miss anything, it's all archived right there at TonyPerkins.com. In fact, that's a great site to recommend to your friends. We have resources there action items, everything you need to know. Our word for today comes from Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flocks may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. 
The short three-chapter prophetic book ends emphasizing the central theme of the prophet's message, the just shall live by faith. Regardless of what we see around us, in spite of what we may presently be experiencing in our lives, those who follow the Lord, living by faith, walking in obedience and trusting in Him, will find joy and strength. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org Bible. As I mentioned, President Biden made a surprise visit to Kyiv today, meeting with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky and pledging continued support for his war-torn country. With a statement that Vladimir Putin's war of conquest is failing, President Biden remains resolute that the U.S. support will not waver. But with the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion approaching this week and no end to the fighting in sight, what does for as long as it takes look like? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Pat Fallon. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, as well as on the House Armed Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Fallon, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. First, let me get your reaction to the president's surprise visit to Ukraine. Well, yeah, it was a surprise. You know, Tony, I think it was unfortunately, uh, you know, to kind of a political gesture to help Biden in the polls because he's been sinking and he's been underwater for the last two years. Fact of the matter is, he's never led uh, in, in Ukraine and on that on the Russian invasion. What he has done is really just followed what Capitol Hill has opted to do. And with Joe Biden, listen, to do nothing, I think, is an extreme position. But also to give the Ukrainian government a blank check is an extreme position. And that's what Joe Biden and the Democrats have done. So the president announced another $500 million for Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian aid. Are, are you concerned that we're not having the accountability we need over this money? I really am. And it, it is tricky in so much, to be fair, as you want to account for the weapons. You don't want to have something that the Russians can hack and know exactly where they are and then destroy them. But nonetheless, there are a myriad of different ways you can track the weapons and make sure they're getting where they, they are supposed to be. There's no concrete evidence right now that any major stocks of weapons hasn't gotten to what they, where, where they need to be. But here's the bottom line. It costs about a billion and a half dollars a month to keep the Ukrainians in the fight. They've been fighting for a year. So our aid should have been about $20 billion. So riddle me this. Why has it been $110 billion? I, I don't know those answers because we've written, as the Republicans in the House have written 10 different letters to the Biden administration about the Ukrainian uh, assistance, and they have ignored each one. I, I want to bring in the conversation from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, where he uh, had an interface with his uh, Chinese counterpart, basically saying that if China gets directly involved with Ukraine providing material there, there could be serious consequences. You know, do, does China really think that America uh, will stand behind those words? Tony, that's a great point. I think the Chinese would have heeded those words if Donald Trump spoke them, because he actually backed his words up with action. No president in recent history has stood up to China like Donald Trump did. That's just a fact. I hope his distractors could even acknowledge that. And this is Joe Biden. He said in the State of the Union address that he was going to act boldly when it comes to China. And yet, Tony, every time he's met with Xi, he's refused to bring up their increasing aggression towards Taiwan. He hasn't uh, talked to him at all about their also their ever-aggressive surveillance. And then to not talk about fentanyl 
is an absolute dereliction of duty in so much as 80,000 Americans lost their lives to fentanyl overdoses last year alone. That's asymmetrical warfare being waged by our greatest geopolitical competitor, and the president won't even bring it up at a summit. Of course, not to mention the uh, horrific human rights record that China has in terms of its persecution of uh, minorities there, uh, religious folks as well. So what could the Biden administration do? I mean, again, Anthony Blinken warning that there would be serious consequences and implications if they uh, got involved. I mean, what what are they what have you heard that they're prepared to do? Right. It's just I think right now it's just a threat and it's an empty one at that. What we need to realize what Joe Biden needs to realize is the Chinese need us way more than we need them. We are a trading partner, one of our you know largest and it is a global economy. But just like so many companies have done, beginning to divest out of China, anything that's really critical to our national security and national defense, we cannot rely on them. It sounds obvious, and yet he hasn't taken action and strong actions to ensure that that is actually the case moving forward. We have to prepare for a conflict with China, hoping that by preparing correctly, and with the right deterrence, we never have that conflict. That's ultimately right. the goal. And as Reagan, President Reagan proved, you can have peace, but you need to do it through strength. Well, and it, it's not only a military solution, as you talked about, our supply chain being dependent upon China. We need to move some of that uh, manufacturing back to the United States, or at least within this hemisphere. Uh, I think we can, if we're looking for cheaper labor, uh, you can certainly go to Central and South America. We could find some reliable trading partners down there. So uh, many things that the Biden administration could be, do, could be doing to remove us from this dependency upon uh, cheap China products. But I, I, there's a related issue here, and it goes to what the House Oversight and Accountability Committee did on Friday. You were a part of that. You're part of the leadership there. You sent a letter to the Biden administration, several of the agencies requesting information regarding the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think this is important from a standpoint of if China or anyone else is going to take us seriously, we've got to address what I think was an embarrassment for our military and for our country, the way we withdrew from Afghanistan. Well, I, I really am surprised that the Oversight Committee under the Democrats didn't have a hearing on this because Ultimately, at the end of the day, every member of Congress should not do the Republican thing or the Democratic thing, but the American thing. And clearly, the American thing here is to never have a debacle like that again unfold. So why did it happen and how? In the military, when I was in the military, Tony, we did after-actions reports. So that's all we want is an after-action report as to what went wrong. Now, a couple of things. You don't withdraw from Afghanistan where there's seasonal fighting. You don't withdraw in the middle of the fighting season. You had an embryonic regime and government there that you wanted to see succeed and defeat the Taliban. So you don't leave in August when they're in the middle of the fighting season. You leave in January. So he didn't do that. There were also conditions that need to be met that weren't being met, and it was kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts. And then lastly, you do not evacuate the military first. You evacuate the military last. Military leadership told the president that they could not keep Kabul airport and the embassy secure with 600 troops. They needed at least 2,500. He went to 600 anyway because the State Department recommended that to him. So where are the high-level executives in government that are accountable? There was no one fired for this one of the greatest disasters in American military history. 
Now, to be fair, I think I understand that Republicans uh, in Congress have requested about 10 times information from the Biden administration on this, and to date, nothing has come. Now that the Republicans have control of these committees, do you think that they're going to comply and they're going to provide this information? Well, we have the power of the subpoena now. So we're supposed to be co-equal branches of government. Tony, the, the White House, the executive branch, granted is one person but uh, with the commander in chief, but he is supposed to answer to Congress and vice versa. It, it doesn't happen that way at all. They've just been ignoring us. But now we have divided government and the power subpoena, and we have control of the committees. So hopefully they'll be responsive. If not, we're going to have to go to the judicial branch and compel them to uh, comply. We're, we're up against a break, but i got to play this clip and get a really quick response for you. Clip number eight, please. Does the White House plan to cooperate in this investigation? How does it feel about it? So I'll say this. We have been providing Congress uh, with information on Afghanistan and the operation for this past year. Uh, so don't have anything to add there. Fifteen seconds. They provided the information? Uh, no, they have not. That's just uh, she <laughs> She is the spin master. Um, and, and no, that's not that's not true. I, I you know what? I knew that was going to be the answer. Uh, Congressman Pat Fallon, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. Thanks, Tony. God bless. Take care. All right. Have a great day. Uh, You know, she is. She spins like a top. All right. Coming up next, the WHO, they're meeting next week, and they're proposing this global treaty that would bind all nations, including the U.S., during the next pandemic. We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Hey, you may have missed this. Uh, We've talked about this, but 19-year-old police officer Jacob Kersey was uh, removed from the department for simply posting on his Facebook page a message about biblical marriage. And he was essentially forced into to resigning uh, his position. And we're going to be taking a petition to the mayor and the city council there in Port Wentworth, Georgia. And if you'd like to sign that petition... You can do so by texting the name Jacob to 67742. That's Jacob to 67742. All right, the Biden administration has moved to enter the United States into a binding agreement with the World Health Organization that would cede authority to the WHO to dictate worldwide policies during any future declared pandemics. Now, how can the Biden administration do this when, according to the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. Senate... Approval is required for international treaties. I mean, two-thirds approval by the Senate. That's not going to happen. And why is the administration pushing to give the WHO this power? It's a global bureaucracy. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Michelle Bachman. She served in Congress for eight years and is now the dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University. During her time in Congress, she served on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Dean Bachman... All right, we've, we're having trouble connecting her. We're going to get her here on the, on the phone. Look, we, we talked about this last year as we were tracking it, and then it's been progressing. They've been working on this. So next week, they actually have this treaty, and all of the nations that are a part of this, 190-some nations, will be meeting to push forward with adopting this treaty. Now, the way they've got it set up, it's structured so that it's binding even though it might be pending in a nation for approval. And it's not going to get approved in the United States. But it's structured in such a way, as we've seen, the the devious left and the bureaucracy that drives this global behemoth is designed to ensnare uh, other countries. And so this would would, uh, essentially be giving the WHO the power to control policy worldwide during a pandemic, Uh, not just for, say, telling, you know, the federal government, but even binding the states, all 50 states would be bound by this agreement. 
that uh, they're working on this treaty. They are scheduled to meet February the 27th, all 194 WHO member states. Now, again, the question is, why is the Biden administration pursuing this? Well, I give you my thoughts on it, is that this is the way the left has long worked in this country. They use international policy to come back and bind the United States. We see this at the State Department. That's why the State Department is one of the most liberal entities pushing some of the most egregious policies globally. It goes to, I mean, this is how it works. They push it out into these other countries. It goes into the United Nations and then comes back on us. Joining us now by phone is uh, Dean Bachman to discuss this. Michelle, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you so much, and thank you for covering this important story. This is about as big as it gets, Tony. There's never been a bigger power grab than this power grab, and it's being led by the Biden administration. It's counterintuitive because normally a nation doesn't want to give away its power. But the whole purpose of this legislation would be that 194 countries, all of the member states of the U.N., would give up their sovereignty to the World Health Organization over health care. So in the case of a pandemic, the World Health Organization would be empowered to declare a medical emergency, and they would be empowered to manage that medical emergency. So what this means, Tony, is that our politicians in the United States would have no power we would lose our voice as a people. Attorney generals would lose their voice. Our Supreme Court, federal courts, state courts would lose authority. Even your local doctor that you go to would lose authority because the executive director of the World Health Organization would be empowered to make decisions over vaccines, masks, lockdowns, supply chains, Almost every aspect of our lives would come under the authority of the World Health Organization. That's never happened before. When we saw churches being closed because the CDC was making recommendations at the U.S. federal level, we pushed back and states were trying to push back. Now there'd be no difference. Every, there couldn't be a Florida or a Texas or a red state that could, could opt for freedom the World Health Organization would have this power, and they would have the power to monitor all of our states and surveil us. And this also creates digital passports for our healthcare, and we would lose our power over our healthcare decisions. This, this is not just them declaring a pandemic. As you said, this is the practical implication of what you do when there is a pandemic. Not only can they declare it, but then they can dictate even what medicine your doctor prescribes for you in this pandemic. They can say you cannot give ivermectin. Uh, you yep. have to give this drug. So, I mean, this is far reaching. I, I don't think there's any precedent of this level. There is no precedent because the bottom line impact of what this means is this would create a platform for global governance. That's never happened before. The UN has wanted that for years. A number of organizations like the World Economic Forum are advocating a form of global government. This would actually, Tony, create 
global governance. And the Biden administration is leading the charge. They're trying to do it through what we call a global pandemic right. treaty, but they call an accord. They're trying to bypass the U.S. Senate, but they're also trying to do it by changing the rules at the World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. They're going down two tracks because they're determined to reach their goal, which is giving away U.S. sovereignty. And so in effect, right. what this would do, Tony, is create a medical police state, not just for the United States, but for all countries of the world. Because what the U.N. wants is the right to dictate that every country on Earth has to do the same right. thing. Sweden, Michelle, we're, we're up against a break. We're, we're up against a break. Sorry we didn't get connected in time. But what's the action item? Where, what can people what should people be doing? People need to melt the phone lines of U.S. senators and tell them that they need to demand that this treaty comes into the Senate for an okay. hearing. And All Kevin right. McCarthy also needs to hold. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Apologize for that last segment. Uh, we just, uh, unfortunately, you know, when the break comes, we've got to take it. But I can assure you, we will be talking about that. We're going to talk about uh, the WHO and what the Biden administration is doing. We're going to probably explore that a little bit more tomorrow. So no worries. We're going to get you the information that you need. A devastating new earthquake shook southern Turkey and northwestern Syria today, just two weeks after previous quakes in the region killed more than 46,000 people and left more than a million homeless. The Ministry of Samaritan's Purge had already mobilized in Turkey, establishing a 52-bed hospital staffed by nearly 100 medical experts. And I'll tell you what, we need to be praying for their safety and their well-being. Joining me now, 
after having just returned from Turkey to uh, check out the operation there is Edward Graham, Chief Operating Officer of Samaritan's Purse. Edward, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Thanks again for having us. Uh, you're probably a little jet-lagged, but you've just returned from the region. What uh, did you see? What is your team experiencing there um, today? Yeah. Well, Tony, it, it's horrible to see. I, I've never seen destruction like that. And I've been in war most of my career. I've been around the world with Samaritan's Purse to look at disasters. But in Takia there, every building, if it's not flattened, destroyed, it's cracked, it's broken. You won't be able to move back into these buildings. And this is the location of the ancient church of Antioch. So this community where the UN says it's about 400,000, it was probably built for 400,000, but they've got a lot more there living there, especially after the Syrian crisis. You're gonna have to bulldoze that entire city. So there's so much loss and destruction. You could smell the loss, unfortunately. A lot of there's been so many dead bodies in, in these structures that it collapsed. And then today, as you said, there was another earthquake. So these rescuers, these, as you see, this heavy equipment that's removing debris, now they got injured today. So our hospital has been flooded with patients today from this most recent earthquake. How does Turkey see a way forward here? I mean, this is, this is so massive, and the, 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 the economy is not that strong in mm -hmm. Turkey. Turkey doesn't have a lot of resources. I mean, is this an opening for... NGOs like Samaritan's Purse to come in and minister holistically to the people there? Yeah, the, you know, the, the government of Turkey has an unbelievable challenge on their hands, and I think it's going to be years if they ever truly recover. So we need to be praying for the, the country. We need to be praying for their, their government. But for us, we work through partner because we're not registered in Turkey. And so we're working through uh, an NGO there called First Hope, great partner, uh, strong believers. Uh, their leadership is unbelievable. We, we're trying to work there in other ways, but right now we're meeting the medical needs, but we're also doing humanitarian needs. We're taking structures. We just flew our DC-8 over there with additional tents for housing. There's a huge housing need there. We're doing hygiene kits. Um, the UN just got approval to operate, and it'll bring in more resources um, from other NGOs around the world. But Turkey has an unbelievable challenges, and I don't know how they're going to do it with the mountain. I just saw one city. There's 10 cities that are just like it, that are destroyed just like it. Now, I understand that while you were there, survivors were still being found in the rubble. Yes, uh, we, we had a, a, a couple, an older couple that came to us that hadn't been treated. Um, they've been injured since the uh, being pulled from the rubble, and they were just recently pulled, and they came to us, and she was in such pain. We also had a young boy uh, that was recovered, um, that had been buried the whole time, and he survived. But you're at the you're at the point where they're going to find fewer and fewer. At this point, it's a miracle if you're pulled from the rubble. Right. And now we have additional um, people that are being trapped. They're either first responders or the people that move back into structures that have no business being moved back into. Turkey's trying to keep people away from these areas, and they're and they're clearing out these cities. But then they have to put them somewhere, and that's the other challenge. That's why we're going in with these tents and working through their their version of FEMA um, and trying to, and to set up camps and make sure they have the right hygiene, the right wash program that goes along. We do this all over the world, so it's stuff we're used to, but it is so much loss of death. I can't, to tell you this and to put a video up, it doesn't do it justice. I've yeah. never seen anything like it. How long do you anticipate Samaritan's Purse will be there on the ground in Turkey? Yeah, I'm, I'm estimating just for medical two to three months until the government of Turkey no longer needs us and they've got their medical system back under their feet. But for reconstruction, how, as long as Turkey needs us, I think we're going to be there for a while. We'll probably, if asked, open up a country office and do programming there. It's going to be a while before we leave. 
How can our, our viewers and listeners be a part of what Samaritan's Purse is doing there? And I think this, Edward, I think this is so critical. As you talked about Antioch, this is where the, the church, in many places, it was, it was birth. This is where Christianity came from, and we're able to go back and show the love of Jesus as we meet the needs of these people. Yeah, you're right. I actually went and visited what they believe to be the first church. It's up on the hill in the cave, and it overlooks the whole city. And I can see all these plumes, these dust clouds coming up, and that's where excavators are working. So the church overlooks this city. First, I ask that you pray. Pray for the country. Pray for the people that are suffering. Pray for their government, for wisdom, discernment. But if you're interested in what we're doing and like to help, you can go to SamaritansFirst.org. There's ways that you can get involved. We're always going to need future disaster assistant response team members that are going out, doctors and nurses, electricians, people that I call MacGyvers that can do anything and do fix anything with a Leatherman. Um, but we, we just need your prayers. Um, and if you can't join and then work at Samaritan's Purse as far as our DART team or disaster assistant response team, we ask for your financial gifts. But prayer is what Turkey needs most. And I just, uh, it's going to be such a long road for the recovery. These people are hurting. We also saw a lot of Syrian refugees because right. of the war across the border. They have flooded right. into this area and they need help. Yeah. Well, Edward, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for that update. And we're going to encourage our folks to do just that, to be praying and to be volunteering and supporting the great work that Samaritan's Purse does. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. Great seeing you as always. Appreciate it. All right. And by the way, I'm going to be with uh, the Samaritan's Purse team in uh, Florida this weekend for their annual conference. I'll be speaking there Friday night. They do such great work. So be praying for the Samaritan's Purse team there in Turkey, the people of Turkey um, it is a great opportunity to minister in this uh, midst of this tragedy. All right, don't go away. We're going to be back with more Washington Watch right after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday at the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, today marks the last official public service held at Asbury University following a decision made to move the outpouring of the nonstop worship service that began all the way back on February the 8th. They're going to move it off campus. Beginning tomorrow, services available to the public will be held at another location in the central Kentucky area. But the events of the past couple of weeks have many asking, how should Christians respond to the spiritual thirst in our nation for revival? You know, I've gotten reports over the weekend of of lines getting into the chapel being a half mile long. And I talked about this yesterday. I uh, had the opportunity to to preach at Jefferson Baptist Church. And by the way, Saul uh, spoke to a number of Washington Watch listeners that came and, uh, and joined us yesterday. But can you imagine if every church in America that there was a line a half mile long just to get into the door to fill a seat? I mean, there is there are people that have been driving across the country to go to Asbury to experience what God was doing there. That tells me there's a hunger. There is a hunger in America. Why is it not being met in our local churches? We're going to talk about that. But first, joining me now... Uh, to discuss is Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action, who traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky over the weekend to witness and participate in the chapel service. Brent, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you again. All right, so tell us what you saw there on the campus in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. Tony, just a really uh, incredible thing to be able to participate in and to be able to experience uh, just a really really neat spirit uh, about the event. My wife and I uh, drove down on Saturday uh, afternoon. We got there late on Saturday night, probably 10, 1030. And uh, even that late at night, there was a line, must have been hundreds of people uh, still in line to get into the the auditorium there. There are other people just on the grounds there singing, uh, praising, worshiping. Um, we came back the next morning, and um, we 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 got there uh, probably ten in the morning already. I'm guessing probably a couple thousand people um, on the campus already at that point. And this was where the uh, the services weren't starting till two in the afternoon. So these people were were, were there hours and hours ahead of time. Um, 
I bumped into the, a, a lady there, actually, who, who has been a volunteer, been there for years. And she just kind of walked us through what it's been like for them behind the scenes. Um, this is a town, Wilmore, Kentucky. I'll be honest, Tony, I had not heard of this place even just a couple weeks ago. It's normally 6,000 people, she said, at some points in this um, in this revival, they've added 18,000 people or some of the reports more recently are even higher than that. So it's um, just busting at the seams. Um, we got to be there and participate in the service, the worship, the singing yesterday. Again, just an incredible spirit. Um, also an incredible focus. I think God has given the leadership there a lot of wisdom. Um, I heard multiple times yesterday, they said, we want to focus on something. This is not about Asbury University. We're just hosting this. This is about Jesus Christ. That's the focus. And uh, again, Tony, just just awesome to be able to, to be a part of it yesterday. Uh, Brent, what were some of the conversations that you're having in line? I know you're standing there for hours in these lines. What were people talking about? Tony, it was just really, really neat. And I'll say even the people you were talking to, I mean, really struck me. We had um, babies. We had grandparents. We had teens, uh, people from all across the country. Some of the people I met were uh, from Illinois, Mississippi, Colorado, uh, again, other nations. And... Um, People just, I think, um, if if I were to sum it up in one word in the conversations we were having, Tony, it was hunger. And you mentioned that earlier, uh, just a really, really deep hunger and excitement about what God was doing. Um, I bumped into one guy and he said, hey, can I ask you what what's one word you would use to summarize what you've seen so far here today? And I said, exciting. And he said, you know, um, I've asked this to a whole bunch of people here. And the three words that I've heard the most are peaceful, um, sweet, and awesome. And just, I think that summarizes it really well, Tony, just a really sweet, really peaceful, but really awesome atmosphere and awesome conversations there. Well, Brent, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, encouraging. Uh, to to hear and praying that, as as uh, Dr. Brown and others were saying that that they were just hosting the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. there, and that this is yes. going to be moving across the country. Brent Kylan, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. You know, one of the things that we we heard early on in this is that they did not want to call this revival. And I'm not even sure they're using that term now, but they were saying, look, this is about obedience. And you know, if you think about it, that's what that's what revival is. You know, in the Old Testament, when the prophets would say, hey, you need to return to God, it was a matter of obedience. So revival is returning, and returning is obedience. And, you know, I, I'm encouraged, as, as Brent was saying, I'm encouraged by the desire, and that you have people going across the country to experience this, but I'm I'm wondering, and I even mentioned this yesterday in the in the church service when I was preaching. Do we really want revival? Do we want it enough to be obedient to God? To bring our lives in alignment with His Word, to bring our our church in alignment. And and what I mean what do I mean by that? Well, I mean number one, forgiving, and 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 restoring. Uh, relationships, whether it be, and that was one of the things we heard early on, that students were confessing and calling home and uh, reconciling with their parents and reconciling with one another 
in walking in unity and agreeing that God's word is supreme. Join me now to talk more about this. Dr. Jay Johnston He's our national prayer coordinator here at the Family Research Council, Southern Baptist pastor. And as we uh, discussed last week, he was actually there in Wilmore himself. He went up uh, early on to uh, see what was happening, experienced it for about 24 hours, and made his way back. Dr. Jay, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. So uh, you heard Brent's description. I mean, it, it continues to grow. They've now kind of, uh, they're, they're saying we've got to move it off campus, in part because the infrastructure is just not there. I mean, you, you saw that firsthand, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, just think of the practical aspect of bathrooms. You know, there's, you have that many people, you don't have enough restrooms. So they're being wise in that part. But I think also they're stewarding what the New Testament is, is that they're commissioned to multiply out and I think through their obedience and the sensitivity that Dr. Brown and the key faculty is is doing I've not been in those meetings but I imagine what they're doing they realize that this isn't just for us this is for our nation and for the world and so stewarding that and they have been wonderful hosts to people That's that's been the talk over and over from people that I've talked with of how they've just engaged people. You know, I, I don't want to get off track, but it's interesting. We've not had any riots, not any pushing and shoving. It's not been like a soccer match or some other sporting event. It's been very peaceful. It's been encouraging. It's been refreshing, as Brent just uh, described there. So, you know, there, God is at work. There's yeah. no question America needs revival. I don't think anyone would argue with that point. A believer, I should say. No believer would argue right. with that. But is America ready? Is the church is the church ready for revival? I think uh, to answer that, I, I do believe that the church needs to be ready. They need to have a church readiness. And that is what should be happening day in and day out. I, I believe what God's doing there in Wilmore, he wants to do that every day in our lives. Even the conversations from some of the the professors at Asbury where they said the reason they didn't cancel classes is because they want this to be integrated throughout the student's life, not just in an auditorium. And so I think that church readiness for the for the church really is. They need to be ready. They need to be praying right now. If they're yeah. if they're not opening their doors and having a prayer meeting right now, shame on them. They need to be ready to disciple these students and whoever else is being led by the Holy Spirit right now. They need to be prepared for counseling because of where people are coming from. And then evangelism. The other part of all this, I was thinking about this. My dad was always concerned out of the 50s church movement that many people in the pews just never had a personal invitation to the Lord. They they got enrolled in a church and they filled a pew, but they were they lacked that relationship with the Lord. And I think that's the other part of where the church needs to be ready right now. Even the people that are, are answering at the church. And you think about all those not in universities, those that are in technical schools, those that are working, you know, we we need to be ready to reach out to them. Yeah, there, there's kind of two types of revivals. You have the, ex, the that which is the experience from testimonies of students, which I think is is what sparked this here at Asbury. And then you have the word-based 
revivals when the word is is preached. And so as it goes out from the school, how do churches need to be preparing? You talked about, you know, they need to be preparing, but what are some of the practical things that churches need to be doing right now that if the Lord would would bring the revival there, what do they need to be doing? Yeah, I, I think having Bibles ready, you know, uh, that was one of the things there at Asbury. Every, every seat had a, a Bible and a and a hymn book so people could open them up. But, I mean, there were students carrying Bibles around. I, I'll go back to that point of I think churches right now, they need to be praying. They need to be gathering people and asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want us to join you in this work? L- let me go to the point I made earlier that um, I don't think anybody would say I don't want revival but do they really want revival? Do we do we want revival from what God requires of, as as I mentioned earlier, the Old Testament prophets of returning to God and obeying His word, yeah. obedience? You no. can't have revival without obedience. No, and all through Scripture, there's there's Bible verses about interruptions, divine interruptions, and with this, what's happened there? There's an interruption to the normal day-to-day. And an interruption is not convenient. Right. So are we going to adjust to what God is doing, or are we going to just continue on to think what we should do? And so I think in that, to to your point there, I don't know that we're ready. I don't know that we're ready to receive all the people. People, people are hungry. I mean, they, they, are, they are hungry everywhere. I mean, thousands of people. Going on to this small town, as Brent was just talking about, 18,000 when it's a town of 6,000, um, th- there's a hunger. Why is that hunger not being met? Are people chasing something, or is it? are our churches not providing what people really need spiritually? Yeah, I love the local church. I'm a local church person, but I think we've gotten so involved in activities and really missed out on joining God in that that very work that he wants to do because we 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 want to rush to the next thing or we want to load everybody's schedule or or is it is it also and, and again I, we're we're t- speaking in generalities right. because there are many churches that are doing the They're right doing thing great so work. and I'm grateful for the local pastor that is preaching the word of God but could it be that we've gotten away from the centrality of the Word of God and we're fearful of offending people given the culture in which we live that has rejected the very truth that we need to set us free? Yeah, I, I would just say join us here at Family Research Council with Reading Stand on the Word because even people say to me, they said, all y'all are doing is just reading the Bible. There's not anything fancy about this. I said, well... That's exactly where we need to be. That's right. That's the word. That's the word. And now that was what moved upon me is these students who were standing there reading scripture. You know, there wasn't the preaching of eloquent words or whatever. They were just opening the Bible and reading scripture and testifying right there of what's what's written in God's word. And I think we just need to open up the word of God. Um, maybe we need to just, you know, for, you know, I'm not against technology and all that, but there's something beautiful about hearing the pages of oh, Scripture. Absolutely. I, I can't study unless I've got my, you know, my Bible in front and, of me. And I think that's the other thing. I, of just seeing all of the people 
walking around. I mean, I had my Bible. Gerilyn had her Bible. But we saw people with big Bibles, little Bibles. I mean, they were massive Bibles there. And I just praise the Lord for that. Well, folks, it's a great reminder. If you're not, uh, if you've not seen our journey through the Bible, you can find it at frc.org/bible. Just simply reading through the Bible, and, and Jay, I do believe that is what's needed because God says, "My word will not return unto me void." It's not the preaching, not the commentary, but it is is His word. And so we're going to continue to pray that this. What has started there in Wilmore, Kentucky, would begin to spread across the country because we so desperately need yes. a revived church, an awakened culture, and a reformed country. Yes. Jay, good to see you. You too, sir. Well, folks, be praying. Uh, pray for your church and, uh, and and pray for your pastor that he would have the wisdom. And, and pray for the Holy Spirit because it doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. You can't manufacture this. This comes from the Lord. But we can prepare our hearts. If we return to him, he will return to us. That's what the word says. And so just be asking the Lord to search your heart, show you what might be there that you need to confess, turn away from, make right, and then trust the Lord to do the rest. All right, we're out of time for today. I want to thank you for joining us. Be sure and visit the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.